Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday, the 22nd of October. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan. Hello, Tom. In this episode, we're going to take a look at stealthing. It's the non-consensual removal of a condom during sex. Like, I was very serious about, like, no, we need to. It's important to me. I also wasn't on the pill at the time. We went to have sex like normal, and he removed the condom halfway through, and I didn't realise until the act was over. So that was 27-year-old Mary talking about her experience of being stealthed. So the problems with this are that it's a breach of consent, it can expose victims to unwanted pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. And it happens to quite a lot of people. There was a study done by Monash University in 2018 that found that one in three women and one in five men had experienced stealthing at one point in their life, yet only 1% of them went to the police afterwards. So massive discrepancy there. But that could be about to change, which is why we're doing this topic. You'll find out why it could change right after we bring you today's headlines. We are starting in Victoria this morning where there is great news for Melbourne residents um, and you can hear them cheering all over the city because the city's sixth lockdown has ended. It lifted last night at midnight. Yeah, so that's the sound of some of the celebrations um, from videos people have posted on social media as the clock struck 11.59pm, um, pretty much like New Year's Eve, Jan. Yeah, I, I did watch those videos and there is this real celebratory vibe around the city. I mean, you can tell because there's people at pubs and at restaurants and at hairdressers. <laughs> they, they got there at 12.01am. It had similar vibes to New South Wales when we opened as well because, you know, no doubt Melburnians want to get their hair cut as much as Sydney ciders did. And other news out of um, Melbourne in the last 24 hours from AFL headquarters, they've mandated vaccinations for all players and staff in the AFL and AFLW. Um, They'll need to be fully vaccinated to train and play. And if they're not, they can have their contracts terminated by May next year. Interestingly, Jan, the NRL have taken a different position. They're not going to mandate vaccinations. Right. Mm. Well, I mean, that's that's the question, though. It is up to individual businesses and organisations to determine the rules that they're going to set for their workers and their players. What's also interesting is that Victoria is expected to scrap quarantine for vaccinated international Mm. arrivals on the same day that New South Wales does, um, which is November 1st. And the National Party have delivered a list of demands to the Prime Minister for extra measures they want included in the government's net zero by 2050 plan. Yes, they have. National Party MPs last night signed off on a list. Um, Now, this list reportedly includes a request for more funding for rural communities. We sort of knew that was going to happen. But also a way to pause the net zero plan if it adversely impacts rural and regional communities in the future. That's what The Australian is reporting this morning. Morning. Yeah, and Phil Corey in the Australian Financial Review says um, this list of demands doesn't have a dollar figure but calls on support for jobs and training and support for manufacturing, transport, infrastructure, forestry, fishing and farming, all of those big regional industries. So yeah. it's expected Barnaby Joyce is going to spend the next few days negotiating with the Prime Minister over this list, then go back to his own party room on Sunday. So Sometime after that, we might finally get an answer to um, what's been about 15 years of climate policy wars (laughs) in Australia. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you know, the deadline's approaching. We've talked Mm. about this on the show before. The Prime Minister is leaving for Glasgow next week and we have to have a plan as a country for whether or not we're going to achieve net zero by 2050. So, yeah, we we were hoping to get an answer to this last week, so hopefully something will come as a result of the meeting this Sunday. The thing is the National Farmers Federation, the Cattle Council and the Business Council of Australia, so these are three kind of key organisations in national seats, they've all committed to net zero. So the hold up, the sticking point is really this list of demands and the Prime Minister's response to them and then Barnaby Joyce's response to the Prime Minister. Queensland authorities are struggling to trace the movements of a COVID-infected rideshare driver. This is a man in his 30s. He is so sick that we're having difficulties talking to him and getting information from him. Yeah, this is concerning um, the Queensland Health Authorities. That was the Chief Health Officer of the state, Dr Jeanette Young, speaking there. Now, the man allegedly snuck across the border from New South Wales and he spent 10 days infectious in the community. The problem is that health leaders are having problems tracking down the venues that he attended because they say that he hasn't been using the QR code check-in system. Yeah, and Uber put out a statement saying he hasn't worked for them since last month. So that's good news, but we don't know if he was working with one of the other rideshare companies and sharing his infection around. It's particularly concerning for Queensland because they have among the lowest state vaccination rates in the country. So only 58% of the Queensland eligible population is vaccinated. Um, That's only just a wee bit better than WA. So of course we know how the Delta spreads. We've seen it in New South Wales and Victoria and I highly doubt anyone's going to want it to end up in Queensland. And Western Australian police have issued a $1 million reward for missing toddler Cleo Smith. Someone in our community knows what happened to Cleo. Someone has the knowledge that can help. And now there's a million reasons why that you need to come forward. That was acting WA Police Commissioner Cole Blanche speaking there. Now, police say that evidence gleaned from the campsite points to the four-year-old having been abducted by someone and they're concerned that she may now be interstate. And a land and sea search around the campsite where Cleo Smith was last seen is expected to wind down today as police shift to a criminal investigation and a special task force is established. And the US police officer who shot dead Australian woman Justine Ruzchek-Damond in 2017 could walk free next year. Last month, the former Minneapolis police officer, Mohammed Noor, had his murder conviction overturned by the Supreme Court and then overnight he was resentenced for manslaughter. He was facing a 12-year sentence. Now it's a five-year sentence and with time served and good behaviour, he could be released by the middle of 2022, so next year. And today's final headline, and if you listen every day... Why not take part in the briefing quiz on Instagram? It is posted Friday afternoons. Um, Of course, you do have to listen to the headlines each and every single day. Um, And then, you know, challenge your friends. See see who's more of a briefer. Yeah, who's the biggest briefing fan? The best (laughs) listener. And right after this message, we're talking stealthy. Even five years ago, stealthing was not really a word that anyone used in Australia. And Tom, I remember the hack team was sort of part of 
the early coverage of the term, right? Yeah, we did a bunch of stories about this in 2017 back at Triple J. I think it might have actually been the first story on stealthing in Australia. Um, We interviewed this academic from America who'd written a journal article about it. So she wrote this piece in the Columbia Journal of Gender and Law and she said that stealthing was a widely known term in the US, but putting it in an academic article really brought it into a context and widened the use of the term to the point where we're talking about it here in Australia and as of Mm. this month, introducing the first stealthing-specific laws. Yeah, that's right. The ACT has actually become the first jurisdiction in Australia and one of just a few in the world to criminalise stealthing, meaning that it is now illegal in the ACT to remove a condom during sex or to not use a condom at all in circumstances where condom use was agreed on by both parties. So let's find out more about the experience of being stealth. We've got Mary Madigan, who you heard a little bit from earlier. We'll also ask her about what she thinks of these new laws. Mary, can you start by telling us what happened to you? So my experience was pretty simple. I'd been sleeping with this guy for a while, just kind of casually. I think like a lot of men I know, the conversation of condoms being kind of like a, oh, do I have to? was almost kind of part of our, our banter in a way. But I was always really strong on that. Like I was like, I've never ever was like, ha, ha, ha. Like I was very serious about like, no, we need to. It's important to me. I also wasn't on the pill at the time. Anyway, we, we went to have sex like normal and he removed the condom halfway through and I didn't realise until the act was over. How did you notice and what did you say to him? Well, I sort of saw it like on the floor kind of thing. I sort of was like, what's going on? It's one of those things in hindsight, I wish I was more confident, but like I said, it felt really awkward, right? And because we had had sort of a long-standing thing, it was also quite shocking. Like I felt like I expected a certain kind of behavior from him and he was very, which was even more kind of like confusing for me. He was very like, ha ha ha, it's not a big deal. And of course, when you step away from the situation, you realize like what he did was really wrong and he had no leg to stand on. But when it's just the two of you, you do kind of feel like, oh, maybe I am being weird Mm. or, and I think my also immediate reaction was, I just wanted the moment to end. I just wanted him to leave and I wanted to get my own bearings. And I felt like I couldn't get them with him because he was being sort of, so this isn't a thing. How did that experience make you feel? It took me a little while to honestly digest it. I just remember wanting the situation to end. And then I remember the next few days, like on a practical level, just being very anxious. Like I was like, well, I need to go get some morning after pill. I need to go get an STI test. I need to go see my doctor. And so you kind of go into this mode of like all the things you need to do. And I I think I felt pretty like, oh, well, that was a shitty thing of him to do. And it made me feel shitty. But like, I didn't really know what he did was illegal. And I didn't know how angry I should be because I think when society doesn't reflect these things back at you, it's hard to get your bearings on the issue. You know, like you sort of know like rape is wrong, for instance, in a very simplistic form. When you don't see it in the pop culture, it's hard to be like, oh, how Mm. angry Mm. should I be about this? Mm. And it really wasn't until I confided in my girlfriends who kind of had the anger that I couldn't quite find yet because I was feeling too vulnerable about the whole situation And I think a lot of shame, like it's not nice, but this wasn't my choice. Like I didn't choose to have unprotected sex. And that was a really hard feeling. And I think when I started to really negotiate that, that I was dealing with the consequences of something in no way did I choose, I began to feel much more angry. Did you see it as 
a breach of consent? Did you see it as rape? Did you think about going to police? I didn't even think about going to police. And I think part of that is that, like, as women, we're so subjected to a lot of shitty behaviour from men that it doesn't seem like the worst thing that's ever happened. Now I think I probably should have gone to the police or I should have at least told him what it was was rape because it is, you know, it, it is a form of rape. But I didn't have that language then and there definitely weren't words like stealthing. Like I remember Googling it and hearing people's stories and, and seeing that word, but it really wasn't in our pop culture language, right? I didn't know quite what to do. I just knew it was wrong. But like I said, I felt a lot of shame. And, you know, a part of that shame is right. Like it wasn't my boyfriend. It was just someone I was seeing. So didn't feel like something I could mention to my family or out of circle because then you're kind of explaining your sex life to people mm. that they don't really need to know about it. So it also feels like something to a big extent you're carrying alone. Mary, there are new laws that have come into effect in the ACT that criminalise stealthing. If these laws had been in place when this happened to you, would it have changed the way that you approach the situation? Would it have changed anything for you? I think so, absolutely. Because I think when we have words and we have laws that allow us to understand what's happened to us, we feel more empowered. And I think women deserve more than grey laws. And I do think if we keep having these conversations, like he may learn that it was wrong, if that makes sense. Because he very much treated me like I was being like basically unfun. That was Mary Madigan there talking about her experience of stealthing. Let's find out a little bit more about these ACT laws that have come into effect and whether they might be taken up in other states as well. Shane Rattenbury is the ACT's Attorney General. Shane, thanks for joining us. How did this end up on your radar as something that needed to be addressed? Look, this was brought forward as a private member's bill by the Leader of the Opposition. And having looked at the legislation and looked at the state of sexual assault law and the ACT, you know, I very firmly had the view that stealthing is a form of rape. It is a violation of trust and bodily integrity. And the law was arguably a little bit unclear. Now, there was a view that stealthing was already an offence under the Crimes Act in the ACT because of a lack of consent or the fact that the consent had been negated by the misrepresentation or the fraud of removing the condom. Uh, so we did form the view that it was best to remove any doubt and actually passed this bill in the ACT. Okay, so potentially someone could have been prosecuted under existing law, but that may have been very difficult and you've made it easier to actually get that through the courts. Yeah, that is the case. I think there's a number of benefits in this bill. It did remove any doubt about whether stealthing was an offence, whether it was that removal of consent. But I think it also encourages people to report stealthing to police, being clear that there is... Uh, legislation there that makes it clearly an offence. I think the actual passing of the bill raises awareness of the issue and it also supports police and prosecutors in making their decisions about both investigation and prosecution by having that absolute clarity in the law. So Shane, what are the penalties attached to your stealthing laws and how did you decide how severe the penalty would be and how does it compare to other kinds of sexual assault? Well, this bill doesn't change the penalties or change the offence. It simply defines what is included in the offence. So in that regard, there's been no change to the general penalties for sexual assault and an absence of consent. So what's someone likely to get? Look, of course, that is a matter for the courts. There are severe penalties available, but uh, it really comes down to the circumstances and, and the judicial officer making that decision based on the case. So would 
someone end up in jail for this potentially? Very much so. It could be everything from a, at the lowest end of the spectrum, a finding of guilt but no conviction recorded. I mean, technically that is the case. That would be very unusual in a serious sexual assault matter. People could get a intensive correction order where they have to serve their penalty in the community with a range of restrictions through to jail time. And that jail time could be a number of years depending on the severity of the case. Would you expect that someone could end up with a similar penalty to what people considered as rape? Not a stealthing rape, but, you know, a violent rape? As I said, it does come down to the circumstances of the case, the, the evidence, the nature of the offending, and then ultimately what the judicial officer decides, and they will weigh up the impact on the victim. I think that is particularly a strong consideration when it comes to sexual assault matters. To your knowledge, do you know if anyone has been prosecuted for stealthing in Australia under existing laws? Not under existing laws. There is a case on foot in Victoria at the moment, but because of COVID, that case has been significantly delayed uh, proceeding through the courts. There was a conviction in New Zealand. There have been convictions overseas in the UK, in Switzerland, Canada and Germany, but there are not many cases out there, no. It was um, introduced in April in the ACT and it sort of passed Mm -hmm. in October. There was Mm -hmm. quite a lot of bipartisan support for a law like this. I'm cautiously optimistic that South Australia is going to be the next state to follow suit. Are you perhaps optimistic that the ACT might be leading the rest of the country on this? Look, it does seem to be the case, but I, I think your point around the bipartisan support is a really good one. There is a clear understanding in Australia now and it's, I think, real credit to some particularly young women who've come forward and been very public about their experiences that we need to make further reform in Australia. We need to not only make legislative reform, but we also need to make cultural reform. In the ACT, we are looking at a broader range of sexual assault legal reform. I'm particularly keen to see reform around creating a positive definition of consent, moving to that idea that it's not just about thinking oh, yes, somebody did agree. It's about actually having that positive engagement where there is a proactive conversation so there's a true understanding that people want to be involved in the act that's taking place. You mentioned this sort of being part of a wider cultural change, moving towards a positive model of consent. What does that mean? Mm. Well, I think in Australia we have a real challenge, and this is probably the case globally, but certainly in Australia, there is continued unacceptable levels of sexual assault and lack of sexual consent. And Law reform is part of that. It is about a broader cultural change of being really clear about what expectations we have, that somebody should not be involved in a sexual matter unless they want to be there. But unfortunately, it is not the way some people see it. That was Shane Rattenbury, the ACT's Attorney General. Yeah, it's interesting what he was saying about moving towards a more positive model of consent and stealthing laws being really just one step in that direction. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in South Australia and and whether the other states will take this up as well. Well, yeah, and it's that context of broader reform around positive consent that makes me think that the other states might move on this as well because there have been broader discussions about changing consent laws in general and it really makes sense that stealthing is a part of that. All right, that is it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Of course, coming into your feed, like it's hot, is the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? This week I am chatting to Lawrence Lung, who is one of Australia's best loved comedians, actors and writers. He is 
super funny, but I learned a bunch about him in this conversation I did not know. He was a teenage goth. He used to Hmm. wear all white makeup to parties and he even had a little origami crow that he used to put on his shoulder. As you can tell, Lawrence was almost as cool as I was at high school. We had an awesome chat covering everything from representation to the future of comedy to parenting. It's one not to miss. I have not heard about goths for a long time. That will be really interesting. That's Lawrence Long with Jamila Rizvi on The Weekend Briefing. I um, hope you have an amazing weekend. I hope our team have an amazing weekend as well. A big shout out to them making this podcast possible. Executive producer Dan Mullins, uh, news producer Liam Kennedy and Brooke Loudner, socials Emily Lodge and Matt Kuzkari on the editing. Thank you so much for all your hard work. I'll speak to you Monday. Listener.